0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us again. We've got a great topic lined up tonight and Brian has a newfound energy in him today because he just had a birthday recently. So on behalf of all of our listeners, Brian, happy birthday and we hope you're doing well.
1: 50 year mark crossed over. So we are still good. I still have the fervor of a 26 year old, but uh, I have the wisdom of the ancients now. But I've been uh, taking some ponderings, not over um, how old I am now, but more in just thinking about our world and and life and not even coming at it from a COVID-19, not coming at it from what's going on in our world and the things that just don't make sense, but trying to get back to um, what is the foundational pieces of our life, that no matter what happens in this world, those things are constant and consistent, and they can be built on. And something that, I don't know if, you ever, if everybody realize a bit, uh, Ravi Zacharias, probably one of the greatest apologetics of our era, um, passed away uh, this week, and I was listening to a memorial of him, and he was, he was sharing on this podcast uh, several years back about the need for stories and how stories are the things that unlock truths that even if you watch a child, you can give them facts, you can give them details, you could give them all those things, but they absolutely don't even pay attention to it. But if you tell a story, the story is the thing that captivates and we've lost some of the that importance. We've gone beyond reason to just factual input, but those things don't connect us. And so um, over the last, couple days especially this morning I was just really pondering stories and how critical they are to our lives and how they 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 present real meaning and truths that go beyond our surface intellect or our surface set of reasoning and I going back through stories of the Bible if you look at it always from just a how-to book well if I do this then I get this if I do this then I get this or I should do this this is my my guide, rather than looking at the stories and the concepts and what was going on and, and grabbing those truths become much deeper into us and much deeper into a foundation of our lives. It's the same reason why Jesus taught taught in parables and stories. It was a way that it, it grabbed hearts and minds way differently than just coming with, okay, guys, here's the facts. This is happening. This is going to be happening. This is what you need to do. Here's how you need to respond. Here's how you need to get in order. He brought something that would capture the heart because that's what he was after with everything that he did. So um, I think we could get into it this morning by sharing a story.
0: And Ravi was someone that every time I would watch a clip of him, he would always have this amazing way of peeling back the layers of what's really going on in someone's question or someone's mindset. And you and I were talking about this before, Brian, that he just he had a way of getting beyond a surface question that's meant to provoke a certain response and really get to the issue. And I think that happens to us so many times. I remember one of the first clips I saw of him, I actually don't remember what the topic was, but someone had asked him a question and the the title of the video was along the lines of the question. And I remember clicking on it and hearing the question and thinking, okay, well, I know how this is going to go because I've heard this argument before. And he he just he took a second and he he connected to something deeper behind the question that the person was asking and it made me realize and made the person realize you're asking the wrong question that's really not what you want to know what you really want to get to is this and let's walk down that and let's explore that and i i realized that i had spent so much time you know since i grew up in the church and read through the bible multiple times that i would get to these stories in the bible and see things in scripture and i would start reading them thinking that I knew what I was supposed to learn from it already before I'd even go through the story or go through the parable. And I realized I was really missing out on a lot of things because I would already know the answer, already know how it's going to go. And so I wouldn't be open to seeing something new in it. But I think it's a sign of maturity to be able to step back and say, I'm going to look at this with fresh eyes. Let me see What God wants me to see here, or let me try to see what Jesus was communicating and not necessarily what I grew up hearing in church, not what I would take from this story in 2020, not what I think the right answer is, but let me get to something deeper. And as you and I have talked uh, about for years, Brian, there's so many stories that we've misunderstood in the Old Testament, especially because we come at it with that preconception. Um, And so Ravi was one of the people that really helped me break through that mindset. I never met the guy, I never saw him speak live, or never saw him speak live, but he had a big impact on me.
1: Yeah, and I think there's some some great things to learn like we me and my son we are watching, we've been going back through the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And you you could make the argument, well, it's not true, it's metaphors, it's it's adventure, it doesn't really line up. I I I remember hearing someone say it's 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 not factual. You can't you can't be spending your mind in just um, imaginary world. And I think I think we lose something in that. I'm not making a defense of whether you should like it or not like it. I'm just making a point that when J.R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, there was there's a lot of Greek mythology, Norse mythology, all of that is embedded into Lord of the Rings. But the elements that were missing in all those was a light of hope that Christianity brought. So he rewrote a lot of stories. And the reason he did stories is because I think I may have mentioned this on another podcast, but it's worth it's worth bringing out is when we look at a story that we can't that is kind of out there. Like it's Lord of the Rings is so out there. It it's not real. And but when you watch it, you could step out of your surroundings for a moment. Your everything you could touch, handle, control, and all of that. Now you're stepping into a realm where you you can't touch, handle, or control. You just have to look at it. And all of a sudden you have this fresh set of eyes. And it's interesting, I can take two people with absolute opposing viewpoints on life, politics, religion, belief, and we can just watch that story and how often we come to the same truths. We can see the truth in it because it's not connected to anything that we could tangibly put our, our hands on, and that is the power of imagination. And you think about the name that God is called wonderful. The word wonder means a place of wonder. It, it's beyond your natural touchability, your natural world. So the idea that he's wonderful is the idea that he's pulling us into places that is beyond our imagination, and if we would allow ourselves to go and see him in some of these lights— The truths that are necessary for our daily life would actually become more clear, and now we could reason on a different level. So, again, the story itself is not supposed to be based in everything that is factual to our current adaptable day. It's designed to give a perspective and an understanding and an insight into things that you normally couldn't see
0: without seeing it from an outside looking into a story. So, how can we tie that into when we read stories? in the Old Bible, and again, especially the Old Testament, because we'll look at some of these examples, these heroics, these events that happened, and we'll look at it from our lens, and we, many times we don't really, I guess we we might not see the principle behind it that it's trying to, that it's trying to communicate, because we'll judge it automatically, like when you start seeing characters introduced to a story, you judge who they are based on your conception of what right and wrong is, and what a reasonable person would do, and what an unreasonable person would do, how a good person would behave, and how a bad person would behave, and the I think the problem with doing that with with stories in the Old Testament or anywhere in the Bible really is that we don't really have an understanding of what it was like for them to be in that time. I, I saw a quote today; uh, it was something along the lines of "Don't judge the heroics of history through a modern lens." And I think that's so critical when we're looking at principles we see in Scripture of of a change of identity, a change of perspective, and we'll we'll judge it through our mindset, having no idea what they had to go through and what choices they saw in front of them at the time. I mean, this relates to pretty much any story you see in the Bible. You and I were talking about um, the Israelites, Samson, Caleb, and Joshua beforehand. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to just do a hard segue into that, because I know you've had a lot of those things on your mind recently. In the process of trying
1: to finish a book I've been working on for 10 years, I've spoken about it. I've, I've talked about it. We've had administered about it. But when you write something, it's way different. And you want to you want to be clear in some of the research I was going through to get a good backdrop of what was happening in that time period that I could put myself into the position of these characters and their decision making and their thinking and what were they seeing and how they were they interacting, I had to go back to the story of the spies going into the promised land. and it when I just stepped back and didn't try to read it from you know it's easy to do everything in hindsight. Well, if they would have just believed this and just went in here, this would have all turned out. they had no idea what it was going to turn out like. So I wanted to go in as if I knew nothing. And this story is unfolding and I didn't know the outcome. And I think that's important when we're looking at some of these stories because it gives us a a perspective that is way different. So let's look at the children of Israel. They leave Egypt. Why did they leave? Because they were being oppressed. They were heavily being oppressed, so they cried out for deliverance from the Egyptians. Why did the Egyptians oppress them? It's because Pharaoh said that they grew stronger and mightier than the Egyptians. So he was afraid of their strength. He was afraid of their power. That's a very important th- thing to understand right away. When things are coming against you and you know it's not, it, it's almost an evil coming against you, it is because it is afraid of what you can become. Boy, that, that should be a foundation pillar in everything we look at. Wow, this is coming. They must be afraid of something about me. So then we have that aspect. So they get out, they go into the wilderness, they, they whine the whole time. And I'm being critical of them, but I have to step back and look how many times have I whined and, and bickered, God, why do you want us to do that? Don't you realize I have, my life is good, it's in order, things are happening. I know it's not great, but at least I know how to control that environment. I don't know how to control an environment that I'm not familiar with. Point number two. Who said you were supposed to be in control of those environments? That's just a thought for the day. Yeah. So now they're in. They're about ready to go in the promised land. And they send in 12 spies. So everybody kind of knows the story. See, don't check out for me on the story. I know what you're doing. Oh, yeah, I've heard this before. Hmm. Just remove your mind and let's walk through the story. 12 spies go in. They're in there for 40 days. They discover everything that was promised is in that land the problem was there was also enemies in the land and they were big enemies and they come back and they said we can't take the land because we are grasshoppers in our own eyes they're bigger than us so what was their focus not what the promise was yeah it's true all these good things are there but there's something bigger than us in there they said we can't take this land and all of a sudden, the people started crying out to Moses. Then Joshua and Caleb step into the scene. Wait a second. This isn't true. Don't worry. They've lost favor. They don't, they don't have protection. We can truly take this land. The land we, we went through is exceedingly good land. And the Lord delights in us. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. And so he's trying to say no you're looking at the wrong thing. If God's giving it to us, who cares who's in it? It's ours. And so they're trying to to stir the people back up to focus on the right thing. Isn't that the case? Is like our mind gets focused on the negative or our mind gets focused on the positive, but here's here's good news in the story. They're both in every promise. Anyway, they they Joshua and Caleb make this real positive uh, confident. They're bold. We can do this. And even Caleb says, we are able to overcome it. We are able to overcome it. And so this this is the core. And here's the battle. But I want you to listen. You have an enemy that doesn't want you taking the land. You have an enemy trying to oppress you. You have God coming in who wants to be with you, and he wants to say, we can go take that land, I've given it to you. Then you have the spies confirming your negative thinking. Then you have the other two trying to encourage you into the positive thinking. Now, here's what I find amazing about the whole story. Who who were the ones that were actually the most antagonistic and angry about good news? It wasn't the enemy because the enemy, we find out later, was actually afraid of them. So the enemy was more afraid of the people. It was that the people were actually more afraid of themselves. That was the biggest enemy. So the enemy wanted to oppress, bring them into servitude, control them. That's what the enemy wanted to do. What did the people who were to be delivered and given the promise wanted to do? It says in Numbers 14.10, And the congregation said to stone them with stones. The people to be delivered wanted to kill the good news. The enemy wanted them to go away in the promised land. The Egyptians wanted to oppress them and use them so they couldn't grow strong. But it was their own, the people that were to be delivered and receive the promise wanted to kill the good news wow, what a mental shift in all of this and how that picture plays out today. How often when someone brings you good news that you're gonna have to step beyond your area of control, receive a new promise, and we almost hate that person more than the person that's actually causing all the harm to us. But it's important to see this because in this story, this plays out mentally in every place. Now, we have a couple more characters involved. We have Moses. And we have God. So we have the enemy, the spies, two good ones, and ten bad ones. So that's three characters so far, three, three positions. Then we have the people being delivered. That's four positions. Then we have Moses. That's five positions. And then we have God. That's six positions. So there is six positions of framework of perception going on over this one idea. So here's God's response to all this. In verse 11, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long? Can you hear a father's heart? How long will these people reject me? You see, to go into the promised land was not a rejection of the promise. It was a rejection of the promise giver. They didn't want to be with God. They lived a life either doing something for God or trying to get something from God. But they've never lived a life wanting to be with God. So they became angry. And so this becomes really critical. And so God's speaking and he's saying, how long will they reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? So God is feeling the rejection, like, how long will they reject me? How did they reject God? By not believing his promise. How long will they not believe me? How did they not believe him? Because they didn't trust in his integrity. They didn't trust in his goodness. They didn't trust that he had His, his their good in mind. Because when the children of Israel were to leave Egypt, they said, we would rather die in Egypt than to go die in the wilderness. Then they get into the wilderness. Then they say, We would rather die in the wilderness than go into the promise, because your only reason of taking us there is to kill us. So the whole time they believe God had a bad motive to them, and they would rather trust the report of evil. So there's one other character that pops in in the middle of this, and that's Moses. So Moses tells God, hold on, don't be angry at them, don't don't get rid of them, don't hurt them if you don't bring them into the promise, it's going to be shown to the nations that you cannot actually deliver a people. You you need to have mercy on them. You need to forgive them. You need to let them go. And God said, I will, because of Moses. So you have this intercessor speaking on behalf of the people who are violent towards the good news, who is actually rejecting God, and he's standing in the gap Trying to bring harmony, can you see this relational circle going on between all these different thoughts and all these different promises and processes? Everything ends up coming down to rejection of the one giving the promise, and I just find it fascinating all this this these ideas flowing in. And I don't want to give us su- a summary of the outcome. I wanted you to kind of see a story of how all these different ideas and all these different viewpoints are affecting
0: one simple thing, to believe the promise. You know, as I'm thinking about that, and as you're going through that that whole story and those principles are coming out, there's, there's part of my old church-raised brain that thinks, okay, I, I get that, you know, I wouldn't reject the promises of God. He's promised me salvation. He promised me Jesus, and I fully accept that, and I'll fully walk into that. And for a lot of people, that's kind of where we stop, and then we'll see that principle in the story, and we'll be completely blind to the deeper issue that it's that it's trying to show, because it's ultimately a mindset that you see in the Israelites there. and And I would even say that we, so many people, so many Christians, even today, fall into that same mindset, but with just a bit of a modern twist from it. So Let me ask to our our listeners, can you think of an area of modern life today where people have become so happy with something that the world provides, whether it's security, whether it's something nice, and and I'm not saying those things are wrong. Just follow my, my thought process here, please. Can you think of an area or multiple areas where we've become so happy with what we have provided in the world in a comfortable place? if we just give up a little bit of freedom or a little bit of who we are because if we don't then we'd actually have to do things ourselves or take responsibility for something ourselves to the point to where you'll actually fight against someone that tries to come and bring freedom to an area i mean is does that ring any bells for what we see a picture of our world right now in Or we become so accustomed to the way things are where if I do this, well, let me bring back the example. So the Israelites in Egypt, they're in bondage, but they have security in that system. I make these bricks, I do these things, and you've got to feed me and you've got to house me. So I can do this and now you owe me this. So I'm provided for, I'm very secure. And if I can perform adequately, then I don't have anything to fear from the Egyptians. I don't have anything to worry about, even though I'm in bondage. But now they get called out to freedom and they're trying to relate to God. They're trying to walk with God with that same mindset. Well, look, if I just do this, then you should do this for me, right? Like you were mentioning a bit ago, Brian, they're so used to just do this for me instead of doing it with me. And there is a huge difference, and I've come to understand this more being a father, there's a big difference between doing something for someone, which is good, and many times needs to happen, and thank God that he is loving, merciful, and does things for us. But there's a deeper level of doing something with your father, where you become a partner in that process, and you actually grow, and that is what God ultimately calls us to. So try to look past just the idea of well, yeah, they were the Israelites, and they made dumb choices out of fear. This is a mindset that the enemy constantly tries to plague us with over and over again, and and if we don't realize it, it's real easy to fall into that trap.
1: As you're speaking, I, I was um, I'd been reading this book. Uh, it's called "With" by Sky Jathani. Um, really good, really good insight, and he he makes this quote. But the life-with-God posture departs from other forms of religion, religion because it accepts this simple fact. Control is an illusion. No amount of control will ever be enough to ensure our safety, and no amount of control will ever remove our fears. In addition, whatever comfort we do gain through control is little more than a placebo effect. We are fooling ourselves into believing we are safe when in fact we are not. This is what God was taking them out of Egypt. They had a sense of, well, we're in control here still. No, they weren't. It was all an illusion. This is why it was important when Isaiah wrote, Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One. Fear not, for I am with you. I am with you. So this is what's amazing, is in this whole story that I just read of the children of Israel, this is a journey. They're on this journey, on this quest to get Mm -hmm. to their promise. And God is trying to be with them. And in your quest, in your journey of life, you're going to have to go through rivers. You're going to have to go through uh, waters. You're going to have to go through fire. It's not God creating it. What was, if you really look at that story, what was the suffering in that story? Who suffered in that story? those that did not believe that God was with them. It wasn't the outward things. It wasn't the enemy. It wasn't any of those things. What was the enemy greatest fear? Is that God was with them. What was our greatest fear, or those being delivered from something, was that I'm out of control. Who's going to be with me in this? The one who's trying to be with you, we ignore. The enemy knows if God's with them, they'll win. That, that is the, the principle and how much we argue against the viewpoint of who God is and how we make our decisions in this modern life based on securing some level of comfort, some level of, of, of peace peace. In natural, think about any major decision need you need to make if there's some major job change you're gonna to have to make or something happens where you're uh, being threatened with a layoff or anything like that, where does your fear stem from? What is the fear of that? Is it the fear you cannot keep up the lifestyle you currently have? Is the fear you won't be able to care for your family? is the fear that there will be no hope, that your hope was in what you were doing? Is there a fear that you're older now, you won't get re-employed somewhere else, and what will you be? What is the real fear that you're trying to find some sense of control over to avoid that danger? So what are you doing in order to try to protect that? Where God says all of that is an illusion. I don't mean it's not literally an illusion. It's not like we live in a false reality world, even though some believe that this is just a <laughs> a fake reality of another reality. I'm talking about just in the practical sense. Those are real things. But if God is with you, shouldn't there be a sense of wonder? Wow. What could be on the other mm-hmm. side of this? What is actually better that this has been holding me back from getting to the real place that I want to go? What is the sense of wonder that imagination like, wow, in history, those that walked with God, when this stuff, worse, way worse things happened to them and look how they turned out. Yep. Wow. What can God do with me? What's his promise for me? What What does he want to do with me? All of a sudden, there's no more fear. So then you don't have to control. You don't have to manage. You don't have to uh, try to find a way to negotiate all that. You step into a new realm, a new promise. And so I think it's important that we, we see something different. But do remember this. God spoke about Caleb. Caleb will go into the promise because he has a different spirit about him. What was that spirit? He had a different persuasion a different source of life than everybody else they all had access to it but they didn't want it Caleb and Joshua lived not trying to control their environments but to embrace the promises
0: of God with them and that is just a different way of thinking that was the biggest thing they had caught something that Moses did which was God saying I'm going with you I'm going to do these things with you and there is Again, such a massive difference between doing something for someone and doing something with someone. You actually talked about this the last time you were in the U.S. Um, when, you had had, uh, when you were hit on your motorcycle and had those rib issues going on. But I was also thinking about it in the context of just how we see ourselves as Christians day-to-day interacting with God. Because we, I hear so much about doing things for God. And before anyone gets twisted, I'm not against serving. I'm not against doing things for God or for ministries or anything like that. That's obviously a pretty big deal. We've got to do stuff for each other and help people. But it's also interesting that you see in Acts chapter 17 where it says, God is not served by human hands as if he's in need of anything. So at what level do we need to stop thinking, Well, God, I'm doing this for you, so doesn't that mean you're going to do things for me in return? That's, that's just not how it works. We've got to transition to this mindset where we realize our Father is saying, I'm going to be with you. That's why we've been given the Holy Spirit. It is with us so that we can walk with Him, not walk for Him or even towards Him, but with Him. Well, you
1: could almost venture to say that if you live in your mission of life is to do something for God, you don't don't want Him with you. You're still trying to find a way to manage and control the outcome of your life. If you say I want to do something, I need God to give me what he's promised me so I can go live my life. You could do that too. And these two examples are typified in the in the with a certain father with the prodigal son and with the the legalist brother. Two brothers. Neither of them wanted to be with the father at first. The younger brother who went off and devoured his life and took all of his inheritance and was going to do it on his own, came to the realization of the goodness of his father. And he wanted to go back and be with his father. The other son said, have I not served you all the days of my life? Have I not done everything you've told me to? You've never done this for me. And the father said, everything I have has already been given to you. You could have done this anytime you want. But the father wanted to do it with him, and the son did not want to do it with him. He wanted to earn what he could get so he could manage his life. The younger son says, give me what's been given to me. I want to go manage my life, the two extremes. But what was the father desiring all along is to do it with him. They wanted to do life.
0: I also think it's really interesting when you look at the examples of Joshua and Caleb here. You look at the example of Samson, how so many times the people that they were trying to deliver and lead into freedom rejected them to an extreme measure. And it wasn't even just, hey, I disagree with your method and I want to do my own thing and let you do your own thing. Many times they actually tried to stop them and kill them. Many times it was aggressively met against, and I can't help but wonder if, if that's still a nasty little habit that we have in the back of our minds at times where someone comes in and tries to shake things up or deliver people and we just can't see it from their perspective and so we'll fight so strongly against them and it's it's almost sad when you when you realize that in each of those times you're devouring yourself the body's devouring itself you're fighting against yourself you haven't even gotten to the enemy yet you're so busy arguing with each other and fighting against freedom and deliverers, we don't actually realize what the true point is. Or do you think maybe that's something that we've grown out of by now?
1: Uh, hardly. And and I'm not pointing any fingers. I mean, there's things in my life that I think I'm, I'm doing really good believing and then I realize I'm trying to still control because I feel safer if I can manage that versus doing something new with him that steps me outside of my my ability to control i i don't even like using the word your comfort zone because we make it sound like that's a peaceful nice place it, it's not necessarily a peaceful nice place it's not comfort in the sense that it's like a new down pillow and a and a my pillow topper and a oh i'm finally in comfort it's, it, you could be in a, on a, laying on a bed of nails, but you know how to manage it. You know how to roll over on it. You've learned how to deal with it. You learned how to function with it. You know, you've created a routine around it. That's a comfort zone. So it's not about literal comfort. It's about a place of control where you can manage everything, or at least you have some semblance of order within it. Now, I, I don't mean being discontented. There's a way big difference between being content with where you're at and being dissatisfied with where you're at. So Joshua and Caleb had to live in the wilderness for 40 more years before they could go into the promise because the people chose not to believe. So in a sense, they had to go into discomfort for 40 years because of the choices of the group of people. But they were still content. They were content because they were with God. They saw that in, in that 40 years. And when Caleb goes into the promise, he says, I am 80 years old, and I'm as strong today as I was when I first entered into this land. Give me my mountain. There was a sense of energy and a sense of life. And even though he longed to get to the promise that was promised, he already saw it, and he could be content. So I want to not confuse you being content with the place you are in life and creating a comfort zone. In the place you are in life. The comfort zone keeps you from ever believing. The contentment allows your mind to be free, to be ready for the opportunities and the the, the advances, but you're still satisfied with being with God. So there is
0: a, a little difference between those two. So how do we kind of, because you bring up a really good point there, how, how do we kind of tell the difference, I guess? Because on one hand, it seems as if the goal in a lot of Christianity is to find comfort and we'll call it peace as well. Um, and we look at heaven as that, as the ultimate finish line of, okay, now you're at rest, now you're at peace, now you're at ultimate comfort. And we see verses like, he leads me beside the still waters, he restores my soul. And so it's it's almost as if everything is pointed towards finding comfort. But at the same time, when, when we talk about stepping out of your comfort zone, a lot of times it's just, It comes across as, you know, just do something that scares you. Do something that you're afraid of. And if if your motivation's wrong, that can be damaging too. Because just to do something for the sake of it being something you haven't done before is not a good motivation in itself. So how do we kind of navigate that and start getting used to the idea of not looking for comfort, but also understanding peace? Yeah, because there's a big difference. And I think it's how we define comfort. So
1: how did the enemy create comfort so the people didn't want to leave? And one of the one of the tenets in uh, Stalin's communism and under Karl Marx is you give the people enough pleasure, temporal pleasure so they ignore needing to make sacrifices for other things. So you give them just enough pleasure. Think about it when the children of Israel uh, when Moses goes up to the mountain The people stay down, and what's the first thing they do? They make an Egyptian idol. And then what do they do? They have a mass orgy. They go into all this sensual pleasure. And so it makes you wonder, what was it that you really wanted in Egypt? You could have those temporal pleasures, but you couldn't have the lasting contentment and fulfillment of a promise. And so it starts exposing some deeper things. And I'm not referring to everything being from, from that perspective. It could just be, um, I can, you know what? I, I can't I can't go out to work, but I can go grab a case of ice cream. I can't go out and do this, but I can have enough to kind of medicate my comforts here. So that way I don't want to, to stand differently. And we'll talk about a story next time on the next podcast about how to... Um, people that were ice quarantined because of a disease end up saving a nation. And so there's an awesome Bible story that that walks through how that worked, because they came to a point where we're going to die if we stay, we're going to die if we go, we're going to die, we're going to die. So we might as well just take a risk and go for something. I think there comes a point where they recognize their place in life, and so they move forward. My, my my things with this of how does this apply to our current world how does this how do these ideas how does this re- relate to truths that are relevant into de- today's age how do we deal with the economy how do we deal with people are afraid of getting sick some people are saying it's a lie some people are let's just open other people are saying you're 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 being selfish you know we have all think about all the dissenting factors we can't even see freedom and a promise because we're so locked into con- protecting what we can control. So we can't even tell what's a truth and what's not a truth because the reality is we don't want anything that disrupts our comfort, our, our way of life, the things that we've we've encircled. You know, like we were talking, some people have ha- actually have had better work experience being able to work at home. They don't want to go back to work. They would rather work from home. And, And so it's not so much that a certain way that we're arguing, but again, we're arguing over things based on things that aren't true. So the children of Israel were not telling the truth. The spies that came out of the land told facts, but they weren't telling the truth. How does this relate to our current position? What is the promise Who is the promise giver to you? What words do you hear that provoke a sense of awe, trust, and value that you lock onto? And they could be fearful words. So when the the experts say, this is what's going to happen, does it cause fear in you? When the experts say, the economy is going to do this to you, does it promote fear in you? Does it promote confidence in you? What words do you hear and from what person brings so much weight that it changes how you feel and experience life? And that's, that's, that's the reality. So how do we fix that? What if we just said, God, I want to be with you in the middle of this. God, I just want to be with you. My contentment is with you. Now what decisions are you going to have me do? What do you what do you say? And a sense of hopeful wonder and your imagination and you start seeing stepping out, and there's a risk in it, and there's a journey, and there's waters to go through, and there's rivers to pass through, and there's fire to pass through, but you're with him.
0: And that is an amazing, that's when life takes on a whole whole new meaning. That sense of wonder and adventure that I think. We really need reintroduced to our world. I I don't know if uh, many people have seen the movie The Truman Show and I'm not recommending it or not recommending it. I just remember this one scene from it where it's essentially a show about this guy Truman. He's locked in this bubble and it's a TV show and he's in this little environment and he doesn't know that he's in this environment, that it's controlled. It's a really interesting concept, but he has a very adventurous spirit especially when he's a kid. And they, they show this clip of him being in school and everyone around him is part of the act. So everyone's goal is to make him not realize the environment that he's actually in, make him not realize he's in a fake world. But he's so curious and so adventurous. So in school, as a kid, he's, he's talking to his teacher about exploring the world and the teacher just pulls out a map or a globe and says, well, there's not anything else for you to do. It's all already been discovered. And and that starts to put a damper on his adventurous spirit. And it starts to tame him and make him subdued. And I just realized how how powerful that is and how that can affect us today. I mean, if you don't have any hope of adventure or wonder or excitement, then I would expect you to just become stagnant with whatever the world can distract you with at the time. And there's plenty of things for us to be distracted with now. But when you start to realize that the life that God offers us is not just about getting to heaven someday so you can sit on a cloud and do some worship music. It's not that at all, but it's, it's actually life with adventure and power that you have a role to play in. You have an active role to play in this, and it's not just for then, it's for right now. There are actual things that your Father puts on your heart right now that might seem a bit unconventional. And maybe that's the point. Maybe we need to start understanding how to reconnect with that side of us. Well,
1: digressing to those points, actually not digressing, but maybe getting to more of the the, the heart of that relationship that you're bringing up. If you really see this picture of in the garden, God creates everything, creates man, puts him in the garden, gives them a responsibility, makes him the ruler over it. And then he goes with them and he has all the animals pass in front of him. And he has Adam, not God, Adam, name the animals. What do you see? What are you going to call that one? And I could just see God with Adam and they're talking and a zebra walks by. And I don't know what the Hebrew word or whatever words he was using, but I could just hear God say, what are you going to call that one? And he names it by what he sees and how he describes it and the characteristics of it. And he, he puts a name on it. And throughout all these animals, and just think of the time, it, it just says it in one verse, but we don't know how much time that took in that relationship. That's God with us. That's what he wanted. Not to tell Adam, okay, here's the list of names. I want you to name it. And he didn't make it into a project. Okay, I'm going to give you some matching. When you see this one, this is the name. So now let's go take a test and you're going to match those, those names. No, Adam, you do it. I put in you, you're the, you're the ruler. You name it. You call it what it is. I want to do this with you. That is the essence of the heart of a father. That's who he wants to be to us. and he can. He has promises and he has a future. Do you know God's plans for you when you were born and his his journey with you has not changed because of covid-19 or a lockdown or a government doing what it's doing do you know his plans towards you has not changed a bit the thing he spoke about your life and the thing that you're to accomplish with him and to journey with him on has not changed because of the circumstances around you. Do you know the plans for the children of Israel when they went into Egypt and the plans for them in the promised land did not change because of slavery, did not change because of the Red Sea, did not change because of the enemies in the land? None of those plans changed. It was always the plan. But the people wouldn't embrace the plan because they began to put their trust in what they can control. And this is a master plan of the enemy. The enemy gets us comfortable with the pleasures of this life. And don't even look at evil things that we would call necessarily evil, just the comforts and the the, the building of your world. And he gets you stuck there that you cannot venture out and you will protect and fight for that. You will protect and fight for that, that little territory. I'm not referring to... Um, as a nation, if God gives you a plot of land that there's not going to be enemies and there's not going to be just like a shepherd is is not going to say, well, they're not my sheep. I'm not going to take comfort in them. Go ahead, lions and bears, destroy them. I'm not referring to the protectiveness of life and the things that God gave you to fight for and to protect. I'm referring to when we become fearful of good news that takes us beyond our current reality into a new reality that's better, that's tangible, that, that exists, and we let those environmental circumstances dictate, that is what the enemy does to your life. If he can get you to believe there's nothing more than what is in front of you and gives you just little tidbits to keep you entrapped into that way of thinking, you become almost more violent towards good news than the enemy because the whole purpose is, if the enemy can keep you from seeing what you really are, what you really can be, who you are, he doesn't have to do anything. You'll fight that battle harder than he would against the good news.
0: And let's put a a relatable context to that. So let's just say that there was a group of people or a church or a ministry that really felt that God wanted them to hold services even though their governor said they should not meet. Do you know how many people, how many Christians would rail against them for going against orders, for going against the government's position? And they'd have a hundred different reasons. Like, it's not safe to do this. You could get fined. You could get arrested. All these bad things could happen if you do it. And that's exactly the message that those Israelites had in their head at the time. If you do this, bad things could happen to you. It's better to just stay here and wait it out, or maybe just give it some time and go around this way. Maybe just wait a few weeks and see what happens. The problem with let's just wait a few weeks is that that line always gets pushed farther back when that line is not set by God. When that line is set by the world, you're never going to actually reach it. And so if you're waiting for the day for all the circumstances to line up to be the right time to do what's got, what God has on your heart, you're going to be here 10 years from now in the same place you are today. And I don't say that to try to condemn anyone or try to give you a kick in the back. It's just the reality of the world we're in. And I am as guilty as anyone of falling prey to that mindset in my past. It's so easy. And most of the time, we don't even know that that's what we're doing. That's part, of the, that's part of the brilliance of the enemy is he can get you stuck in these things and you don't even realize that he's the one pulling the strings. But thank God we've been given a spirit that is so much more clear and so much better. So if anyone needs permission to follow through with what the spirit has on your heart to do, you've got it and you don't need my permission. You're with your father on this. And I know it can be a difficult thing, and I'm not trying to say you should or shouldn't do this action, but it, whatever it is, it needs to be with God, with what he's
1: placed on your heart. even when this first this all this stuff happened, it was like a flashbang gr- grenade that military and police use to disrupt and disorientate. And it's best to not panic and just calm down for a moment. But then once the dust settles, you have to take action and mm-hmm. and and respond. But let me just step back and go back to that that point. God had put a plan and a heart desire for for things in you from the very beginning. Not an occupation, even though an occupation may be an outlet of that. But there's things that you are and we talked about Mordecai, we talked about Joshua, we talked about Caleb, we've talked about Esther, we've talked about Samson. We've talked about all these characters. They were placed for a strategic time, knowing their life would have to go and interact with all these negative environmental events. So let's put it this way. There used to be this saying, since it was just my birthday, there used to be this saying that we said with kids when things were going wrong or someone was doing something, they said, well, what do you think you can do? Take my birthday away? Like, what's the worst you could do to me? You can't take my birthday away. I'm still born. I still exist. You can't take it away. You can, you can eradicate me. Okay. You could do anything you want, but you still can't take away the fact that I was born. You could even hide it that I was born, but you still can't take it away the fact that I was. can't take my birthday away. And so we used to make that statement, and I was just thinking about that as you were talking. So if you go along with what God's spoken to you to do, and I will say this, if all of a sudden this happens and you feel like you have a new calling and you need to jump over here and respond this way, either direction, you're still not hearing. You're still changing and responding to events. Just keep moving forward with what he said to do. Just keep going with what he said to do. Ask him and, he, and walk with him on how you're going to navigate now what you're going to do. So just because a storm comes doesn't mean the compass doesn't work. Just because uh, your, your, your sail rips doesn't mean the compass doesn't work. Because you get thrown a little off course doesn't mean the compass doesn't work. Just get lined back up with the compass and go to the destination that you were designed for. And I think sometimes we get that's where that comfort is. We don't know what that destination is and we get lost in in all of the all of the nonsense that really it wasn't so much the the decisions of government and COVID and lockdowns that changed us. It was the fact that we already were wrestling and all it did was disrupted what we were comfortable with and we don't know where to go from that. So fear starts setting in. And so I my my perspective is if God spoke to you to do something 10 years ago, it doesn't matter what changes. It can't stop the promise any more than the giants in the land, the people being choosing not to believe. The Egyptian who's trying to oppress, if you're with God, you're going to get to the thing that God had spoken to you about. The journey may be different. The land may be different, but who cares? You don't have to control it because you're with God. And so I know I'm being uh, a little bit like, hey, this is no big deal. Just just do. What's the worst? If you go do what God had spoken to you to do, and even if people around you are railing all these other words, and I think that's important to note in that story. The one person who believed the truth, his own people, his own spies all came out against him. But if you just keep doing it and keep moving, what's the worst that can happen to you? At the end of the day, what's the absolute worst that could happen to you? They can't take your birthday away. You're still born. You're still a child of God. What's the worst they could do to you? expedite your journey with God? I mean, that's the worst. Either way, you win. And I'm not saying what that means, and I'm not trying to put that into be stupid, not care about other people, because if you're doing that, you're not thinking from a perspective of with God. You're just the same, and you keep moving forward, and you keep being unchanged, and you keep moving, and you keep being unchanged, and you just keep moving. And you you navigate, you adjust, you flow, and you get to the point that God spoke to you from the very beginning before this event ever take place because it sure didn't take him off guard nor did it take him off guard when he called you and spoke to you what you were when you were a child that hasn't changed my final thoughts on all this and again we're discussing this matter we're not coming from a clarity that this is what you need to do i'm just i want to read stories and let you see how god interacted with people in different times, in different spaces, in different extremities, in different experiences, in different applications. I want you to see that God can be trusted and he wants to be with you. I want you to see that the promises that he spoke will not go void because of the circumstances in your world. I want you to see that you don't have to try to find a sense of comfort and control in order to avoid your own fears. You don't have to work for God. You don't have to try to just get everything he has. He wants to be with you. That's the journey. And if you could grasp from the stories, this, these are the stories that, that shaped humanity and that we can can get a hold of. And I think it's just really important that we take new looks at that and let God speak to you about your life and about who you are and remove the noise and let a sense of wonder come back in. Hey, it's either going to be a wonder here on this earth, or it's going to be a wonder for eternity after this age. But at some point, it's still a wonder, and that's the joy of being with him. I'll leave this final point. So many people wrestle with Is there a heaven? Is there going to be a hell? Are these persons going to hell? Are we going to go to heaven? And I, I do believe in that. But I think we're missing the essence of the story. If you don't want to be with God here, why in the world would you want to be with God in heaven? Or with God in eternity? Even the verse of the weeping and gnashing of teeth, for those who don't understand, that term is used to people that are angry and and, and ravaging. It was like the children of Israel wanting to stone the, when they wanted to stone Caleb and Joshua, they were weeping and gnashing at their teeth. They were so angry and bitter towards that. That's the anger for eternity. Can you imagine living for eternity? Angry at a promise, angry at what you feel is your right, your justice, and all of that stuff. Anger. But the bottom line is, whether there's, I believe in a heaven, I believe in a hell, I believe in the fire, I believe in all of that. But at the end of the day, I just want to be with God. So I'm looking forward to it here and looking forward to there. If you don't want to be with God, you're miserable here anyway. So it just goes on forever.
0: Man, that's a really good thing to keep in mind. If you guys are looking for just a a real easy starting point, if any of this is... Um, been stuff that you're going to have to chew on for a while and wrestle with. I hope it is. But if you're in that place and you're looking for an easy starting point and exploring this, I guess, new mindset or a new way of thinking for you, start looking at these stories, but not putting yourself in the position of the weak people. Put yourself in the position of the hero. Because so often we'll look at these stories and think, oh man, I can relate to those Israelites. And I get that there's a point from that. But ultimately what you are... You're Joshua and Caleb, you're Moses. You're the ones that are with God. You have his spirit living in you as a believer. You're the hero. You're the one delivering people. You're not the one that's broken down and afraid and scared to take a step. Start putting yourself in a different position cuz that's what you're designed for. So again, we appreciate you guys. Um we know that times are tough, but you're tough people. You're the strong people. You wouldn't be listening to this if you were the weak ones. So Keep going on in your strength, in your identity. We love you. God's with you each and every day. Keep that in mind. And we'll be back next week to do this all over again.